Welcome to the Tea Grannies. I'm Elise. And I'm Maria. Today we're here to talk about the basics of editing. This episode will focus on the different types of editing and what is right for your project. So pour yourself a cup of tea and let's get started. You've written your draft, you have your characters, you have your plot, you have fiddled with your pacing and written it to death so that you feel like you've got something essentially complete. Um, Complete is relative. So how do you know if you're ready for an editor? How do you know if you're ready for the next step? Um, So we're going to talk about a few different things to get you set up and get you prepared and knowing what to look for and what kind of, maybe what kind of questions to ask or just presenting yourself so that you know what you're asking for, I think is one of the biggest helps when you're trying to find an editor or trying to decide if you're ready for one in the first place. Um, so my, my typical first tip for anyone who's considering hiring a professional editor at any point is, um, has anyone else read your story? Because your editor or your agent, God forbid, should never be the first person to read your work. That, um, that is going to be a red flag for them. And they might, you know, mention that to you if it's, uh, not quite up to standards. So, um, make sure you've gotten feedback on it. Like if that's a couple close friends or a writing group, a couple people, it doesn't have to be like three intense rounds of six different people each or anything crazy like that. Like, um, a couple of people who have read it through and said, yeah, this makes sense or, whatever it is, and you've gone through and you've fixed it up a little bit. That's a great place to start. If you're not there yet, I definitely recommend that because it's going to save you money and time in the long run. It's going to save your editor time in the long run, which is only going to um, serve you eventually. Um, And then once you've done that feedback stuff, revision stuff, um, I always recommend putting it away. This is uh, the biggest help for me. I have to do this to kind of take a step back, uh, refresh my opinion, and come back to it with an objective mind. Otherwise, I'm either thinking this is the best story in the world and that's too arrogant and I don't know it yet, or this is trash and that's too harsh and I don't know it yet. (laughs) There's not really an in-between. I'm usually in one of those two places, usually the second (laughs) one. Don't worry about it. I'm going to counseling. Um, (laughs) Aren't we all? (laughs) (laughs) We all should be. It's a good practice. (laughs) Um, So then I guess third thing, um, you've put it away, you've taken some time away from your work, and you know you're ready, you want a professional opinion on it, you want to polish it up, get it ready for whatever your next step towards publishing is. Um, I think the biggest thing, the biggest help, and the whole reason behind this episode is to know what you're asking for. Um, whether you're going traditional route or wanting to indie publish your work, knowing the different stages of editing is going to help you. It's going to help you find the right person and it's going to help you communicate with that person about what you want, what you think you need, and then dialogue with them about maybe they're on a different page. Maybe they think you need a different stage of editing than you actually asked for. Um, And you can't have that conversation constructively unless you know what the stages are. So we are here 
to break down the different stages of editing kind of at a high level. There's a bunch of nitty gritty things we could get into, but we're gonna, we're gonna start with the basic four because editing is not a monolith. There's all these different things you get into. With nonfiction, it gets even more complicated. Um, Sticking to the fiction idea, because that's what we specialize in, um, the four basic high-level stages in the process go by a few different names. Um, starting at the top, you've got your structural editing stage. That can go by substantive editing or developmental editing, especially in the States. And that's just big picture, um, overarching narrative characters plot kind of thing. Your next one is going to be uh, stylistic it's also known as line editing, I think, in the U.S. predominantly, but other people might know that term as well. And that stage is essentially for clarity, um, but you're really getting into each individual phrase and how it's constructed and the effect that you want to have and the emotional um, impact that you want it to have and all those different things. And sometimes you look at some structural elements there, but it's more um, style and voice and considering the audience and whether your word choice is appropriate for that or not. And then third stage is copy editing. This is all the nerdy bits. It's your grammar rules, your punctuation, all of the things that should make sense but make no sense, which is why you hire an editor, because there's way too many rules. Um, and then the fourth and final stage is proofreading. And this one's often confused for copy editing, and that's something we'll get into a lot later. Um, but proofreading is basically the last step before printing your book. Um, and it looks at a whole bunch of different elements, not just the nerdy stuff that we mentioned before. So that's your four stages. And you'll likely hit every stage of this editing process at some point, And a lot of it's uh, best left to the professionals. But before you send your manuscript out for any type of edit, it should be as prepared as possible. Um, this is the biggest complaint I think we heard at writing conferences from agents and stuff like that, that they get a lot of uh, manuscripts that are just not even ready to go. Like someone wrote a first draft during NaNoWriMo and they sent that to an agent. Mm. Please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> they really don't like it. <laughs> I'm not just saying mm. that. They really don't like it. Um, so that means that You've written your story, you've rewritten what doesn't work, you've edited for flow, you've edited your storyline, you know, you've had someone read it, you've gotten some feedback, you fixed some stuff, um, you took time away, you did a read through and do your basic grammar fixes, spell check the whole thing and format it properly before you send it out. This is another pet peeve for editors and agents alike Please. make sure it's formatted properly i will praise um, you forever if you do <clears throat> yeah like you know at school if you didn't have it formatted properly they'd usually just take a couple points off mm -hmm. but if you don't have a manuscript formatted properly and you send it to an agent they're already looking at you like you're not ready yeah they're not really gonna you're not gonna enjoy reading mm -hmm. <laughs> let's put it that way mm -hmm. and uh yeah so it's your responsibility to turn your work out as polished as you can make it without assistance. So if you haven't done any of these steps, then you're not ready for the editing process. Yep. But if you have, and you've gone through your checklist and you're all the way through there and you've made it to this point and you know that you are ready, let's break it down. We're going to go through the four stages that I talked about earlier and just kind of get into a little bit of the details. We're not going to go super deep into it because I think that would, you know, bore everybody. Yeah, well, but <laughs> we'll do a broad uh, discussion of the yeah, different types. Exactly. Yes, just so you know what you're getting into a little mm -hmm. bit. 
So the first one that I mentioned was structural, also known as substantive, also known as developmental. I think developmental might be the most common in yeah. North America, just because America is bigger than Canada. Um, so <laughs> you might be familiar with that term. Um, and just as a kind of side note, you might linger in one editing stage way longer than another, depending on where you're at and how you write. Like it doesn't, doesn't mean just because structural developmental is at the top doesn't mean that it's going to take the longest. It really depends on how cohesive your story is and how, how strong your character arcs are and how all of that is working. Um, but developmental is typically seen as one of the bigger stages because it is a big picture edit. Um, I'll spend a little bit more time here than in the other ones because this is my favorite kind of editing. Uh, I think it's the most fun. And that's because you get to focus on everything. So you get to look at the overall narrative story arc or the plot or essentially all those beats um, and making sure that the beginning leads into the ending and that everything in between is in the right place. And amidst all of that, you're looking at character arcs, the organization of the entire work, what to cut, what to keep. This is where we'll probably tell you to kill your darlings. Um, those horrible, horrible words that editors love. And then there will be some consideration of overall genre and audience and what the audience is looking for and whether it's there or not, whether you strayed from that too much or not. Um, a good uh, substantive developmental editor will have that in mind as they're reading and as they're giving feedback. Um, and I guess I can get into maybe some examples from my experience. Um, I'll try to make those understandable <laughs> without giving things away because there's kind of some non-disclosure stuff when you talk about clients' work. But some of the kinds of problem solving that your editor will have to do here in this stage. Um, developmental is often where I would pay a lot of attention to the first page um, or the first chapter. Typically first chapter because first page is a little bit too narrow for me. Um, but focusing a lot on the first chapter in relation to the project as a whole, because this is often where a lot of writers struggle. So I make it a big priority. Um, and some of the questions that I might consider within the first few pages are, do I care about the people that I'm being introduced to here? Do I resonate with them? Do I empathize with them for any reason? Is that strong enough? Does it make me want to know more about them? Or am I kind of like, eh, I don't really care about this person. Why should I care? If I'm asking the question, why should I care about this? Something needs to change. Um, and yeah, a, a good way to, to know that is by asking, do I want to learn more about them? Or do I just, you know, I could, I could leave it. I could stop here and not really think about what happened to them. Um, and then after considering that, if I have some issues there, I might start considering, is this where the story should actually start? Is this the true beginning? Or should this, is this more like action leading up to the beginning where the story should actually be starting? And this is more backstory. Um, should this actually be cut? Um, or could it just be reconfigured, swapped around? If you're working with different POVs, sometimes I might, point of view, sometimes I might suggest starting with a different character or, um, introducing this one character at a different time in their life, but keeping this other character because that's exciting enough. Um, and then just considering, could this be made more engaging? Could it be shortened um, or lengthened? But I don't typically suggest that authors make their beginning longer. I haven't had that experience yet. I think that's just a general, like, the, the bigger problem is usually they've gone on too long or they've done some kind of info dump and it's just not working for me. 
So don't be offended by the amount of comments and suggestions you're going to receive on that first chapter and first page. Uh, like Elise said, it's it's hugely important. And most of us writers struggle with turning out a great first page or a great first chapter. And uh, something to remember that's always helped me, at least, is we should feel like we've just been dropped into the story. Uh, something important needs to happen before the end of chapter one. This is like one of the most common problems I see in first chapters, like when I'm workshopping or sometimes even when I pick up books in the bookstore, uh, I will read the first page. And if the first page isn't compelling enough, I will usually put it down and it goes on my I'm not going to read that ever list. <laughs> <laughs> so another thing to think about um, is getting feedback and the feedback on your first page is going to be obviously really important. And you know, you need other eyes on your on your work. And it is your work, though. So if someone makes a suggestion uh, that you don't agree with, you can reject it. But mm-hmm. be careful of doing that um, when you haven't had a lot of feedback on your piece yet. I think that we get very protective of our work. And sometimes we don't like having editors looking at our work. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to decide, are you being protective? or sensitive or is it actually because it will change your story so much so (laughs) keep in mind that people reading your work with fresh eyes have no baggage about it and so they probably have a point so yeah you know maybe they suggest your main character is like too cold of a personality but you want them that way so you don't need to change everything about your story you just need to add something to your story to make that come across more clearly for your reader who's coming in and hasn't read it a hundred times like you have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it might just be like a small adjustment. It might be a major adjustment. But um, yeah, Mm -hmm. someone coming in with fresh eyes is going to have a lot more to say than someone who's read it a few different times. And um, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a really good point to just keep in mind that, especially if you're hiring a professional editor, they are there to help you make the story be the best that it can be. Like, they should be emphasizing that they're on your side, they're yeah. on your team, and um, the way that they approach the story is, is only to help it get better. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, that's a really good good reminder. Um, I think that wraps up the developmental section, so we can jump right into stylistic. So stage two, um, and the order that we're doing this in is typically the order that would be recommended because in order to save yourself time and save yourself work, you're going to want to start with the structural and the high-level developmental edit so that if you're going to remove sections, you're not wasting your time on stylistic or copy editing. Um, mm-hmm. On sections, you're just going to cut anyway. So, yeah, that's uh, a heartbreaker. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... After developmental editing, after you've got everything in the order that you want it and everything that should be in the story is in the story, everything that should be taken out has been taken out, um, you can move into the line edits. You can move into sentence by sentence, paragraph and phrase by phrase um, stylistic editing. So you'll often see some crossover with developmental or you'll see a little bit of crossover between stylistic and copy editing. I think that's a little bit more common because stylistic um, editing focuses on your wordiness, your jargon, if you're using terms that the average person might not know. Um, If you're using too much passive voice, then it's just not an active enough narrative or maybe you're writing for a certain reading level or a certain audience, but your, your vocabulary isn't isn't matching up with that. Maybe you've got too much repetition. You're reusing these certain terms or phrases that um, 
work okay on their own, but when they've been used over and over, it starts to get tired. A stylistic editor can help you point those out because chances are you don't see them anymore. That happens to me all the time. Uh, Maria is really good for that. <laughs> uh, and then everything down to like word choice, individual words based on the emotional or narrative tone that you're going for. Um, essentially, stylistic editing, this stage is about clarity. A stylistic editor will be considering every sentence and wondering, asking themselves the question, is there a more understandable way to communicate this or is it good as it is? Um, and a strong stylistic editor can help you transform just muddled and confusing writing into clear, coherent phrasing and prose. Um, so it's very language focused rather than story focused necessarily, but you have to take the story into account and the overall tone and the idea of theme um, so that you know that you're choosing the right words for the right phrases and keeping the right tone for the right audience. Um, and some of the kind of problem solving that I might do in this situation as a stylistic editor, um, this is where I might look at your metaphors and descriptions, what you're using to describe things. Um, and I might say there's some cliches in here. Um, could you think of a more creative way to describe these aspects of your world? Um, or I don't think this character would speak this way given their socioeconomic status or their previous interactions with other characters. Here are some word choice suggestions. Um, that's kind of some of the things that I might look at as a stylistic editor. Um, but there's a whole host of things, like there's a whole range in there of just language-based problems that we could look into. Yeah, and this is another one of those uh, stages in the editing process where it's easy to be offended by the mm -hmm. suggestions. Um, it can make you feel like your language isn't good or your writing isn't good. Um, and that's not that's not the case. Like it's, it's a lot of the time, um, again, fresh eyes on it. And they're reading it from an editor's point of view, you know, not from your when you're writing, sometimes you're just writing to get the story out and you have to come back and, and make it sound more cohesive, right? Like, I don't know about everybody else. I write emails and stuff for work. I write my email and then I go back and go through my email again and edit it. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know if other people do that. Oh, yes. But yeah. Multiple times. <laughs> Multiple times. Yeah. Like, I like to make sure it's as good as it can sound. And that's pretty much what a stylistic editor is doing for you. You'll read a sentence, like when you wrote it, it sounded fine. And then when an editor, com editor comes in and maybe they read it and like read it out loud and they're like, well, that sounds like a four-year-old wrote it. Oops. We gotta fix that. <laughs> this is a, a young adult book. Um, <laughs> and then the other, uh, other things that they're going to look for too is uh, like Elise was saying, like language and, and there's some um, genre related issues with that like uh when you're writing a fantasy book most fantasy readers are going to be familiar with like some weaponry um sure. terms of like animals like horses and things like that mm -hmm. that makes sense in the context of a fantasy book but if you put them like a contemporary romance people would be like what <laughs> what um so that's something else to consider too and and it does sometimes help to have someone who's um an editor or reader who uh, is reads and edits your genre for that reason, but it's not the be all and end all. Um, but it does it does help depending on what it's about. Like mm -hmm. I've had uh, people in our workshop group that aren't major fantasy readers, like say stuff uh, about Lisa's Lisa and I's work uh, about terms, and I'm like, whoa, like no one's ever bumped on that before, and mm -hmm. and I think you know for fantasy readers, like, for example, like horses, body parts, like withers, mm -hmm. most, most fantasy readers kind of know a little bit about like tack and like, um, the withers, are, like sure. the top of their 
shoulder yeah. or whatever. Um, and so there's stuff like that, that, that would make sense to you depending on the genre as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Just a bit of a ramble, but hopefully I got the, <laughs> I think that gets the gist of it. Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after stylistic, we can just dive right into it. Copy editing. Copy editing is the third stage that we want to talk about. Um, and this is even more, even more nitty gritty than stylistic editing. If you can believe (laughs) that, (laughs) even more picky, (laughs) even more nerdy. I can say that because I've been copy editing for two months, um, on several different (laughs) projects. I'm doing yours right now. Very excited (laughs) about it because it's like a change of pace from memoir and self-help and very philosophical language that I have a hard time following so it's gonna oh, be like yeah. so much so much more breezy <laughs> to read like Greek mythology for you. yes let's go, go. <laughs> I'm so excited um okay but copy editing copy editing will mm-hmm. often see some crossover with all the other stages I would say because as your editor is going through a developmental or a stylistic edit they might be like oh typo here or oh change the punctuation here just to make it flow better like there's all this crossover and you can't fault them for it because it's all connected, but uh, typically a copy edit, a strict copy edit, um, this is where we get into grammar, punctuation, spelling, and consistency. So you see all of the nerdy bits, the rule following. (laughs) Um, And this stage is often confused with proofreading. They're two very separate things, but we'll get into that when I talk about proofreading later, um, because that will make more sense in the long run. But Copy editing. Yeah, it, it's going to have a big focus on rules and not necessarily following them and strictly saying, no, you have to do this because it's grammatically correct. But when is it okay to break them or when is it not? A, co- a good copy editor is going to consider that in their edit. And um, one of the ways that they keep track of all these things, because there's way too many details to try and remember, um, is with something called a style sheet. Um, this is essentially a wiki of your story world. Um, it applies to nonfiction just as much as it applies to fiction, but it just applies kind of in different ways. Um, so in a style sheet for a piece of my own writing that's a fantasy world that I made up, everything I put in there will be everything from people and place names to whether I'm using Canadian, American, British, or another spelling variant. Um, and how I like my spacing around my M dashes and ellipses. So all of the nerdy bits. I'm going to keep saying that because it kind of sums it up. I like that expression. Excellent. It sums it up very well. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, uh, style sheet is kind of a separate thing. It's not tied to the copy editing stage, but that's where it's going to be the most useful. And if you even have a basic style sheet started for your editor, bare minimum, they will fall at your feet and be eternally grateful. I am speaking from experience. I learned about style sheets a little bit late in my editing career, as in I did a year and a half worth of projects before I realized it was a thing. And I have been kicking myself ever since because it would have made my life so much easier. Oh my god. I don't even touch a project without starting a style sheet. Um, I'm sorry, you don't have one. Oh, don't worry. I'm making one. (laughs) I did start. I I, I have like a half-ass style sheet in my doc. And then I was like, Elise has read this like a hundred times. I don't think she needs the style sheet. I'll keep working on it. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm making one. It'll have all the character names. It'll have all the place names. It will have everything because that's my job. You should make one up like uh, a template 
for people and then they can uh-huh. fill it in. So it's I less work for you. I have a template for myself, but I should maybe start sending that to clients and getting yeah. them to do it for me because that would be really helpful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is a prerequisite before I start the project. <laughs> yeah, that could, that could be a rule. Um, yeah, but yeah, okay. basically that, I think that kind of explains style sheets are really important and really mm-hmm. helpful because there's a whole bunch of different um, exceptions to rules that you have to keep track of, of like, we capitalize this in this story because it's important in this way, but normally given English grammar rules, it wouldn't be capitalized or what have you. Um, so copy editing is just a whole big mess of, of nitty gritty details. And yeah, like I said, I've been dupe in copy edits for the past two months and I am full on nerd about this right now. So I could talk a lot, but I'm going to stop there because nobody cares except for editors. <laughs> well, uh, for for the writers out there, uh, it's important to have someone to go through your manuscript with a fine tooth comb and and do all this nitty gritty stuff. Because when you do send out your manuscript or you're ready to self publish, you want it to be as cohesive as possible and as polished as you could possibly make it. Like I've read a few self published books on like Kindle Unlimited and stuff great story, everything's going really well. And then I run into like a grammar error or like a spelling mistake. And I'm like, really, you put in all this beautiful work <laughs> to spell a word wrong and publish it like that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and maybe I'm just being, maybe I'm being too hard on them. I know it's, but that's something <laughs> I think I would just check so many times before I hit publish. Don't even know. <laughs> I'd even send it like we just said, I don't even send an email without going through it like multiple times. Like my phone predicted texted my name one day and and signed my email like Marion and I actually had to, and I hit send before I noticed because I was in a rush and then I had to email that person and be like no no it's Maria I'm so sorry like Marion you know, as if they really cared right you're really but like buying there. into that tea granny's old lady style because <laughs> yeah, that's that's an old lady name to me <laughs> a more appropriate name <laughs> hey my middle name is Martine which I actually oh but really that's think pretty is- a bit of an older Marion is pretty too I'm being so rude if your name is Marion and you're not a grandmother (laughs) I am so sorry (laughs) oops we got a little mean girls there (laughs) anyways a little off topic as well like we always do uh but yeah so the style sheet yeah it's new to me as well and like I like I just said I didn't send one to poor Elise for this project (laughs) um and I'm trying to get on it and the other thing is if especially if you're writing fantasy I keep coming circling back to fantasy but Mm -hmm. there's usually a lot of unique spellings for names um and places yep so having a style sheet is huge to make sure that your editor is consistent with the spelling and mm-hmm. that you are too, because mm-hmm. there's nothing like going halfway through your project and realizing you spell the character's name differently randomly. I've done and, that. <laughs> yeah, I've done that too. And the first one's how could you do that? And then I was like, ah, it must happen more than oh, yes. I think. Oh, yes. <laughs> so that's the other good thing about the style sheet. Um, so it's something to, to look into doing for your project and uh, something I'm actually going to, you know, do going forward I promise. <laughs> i'll hold you to that next time you ask promise. for a copy edit it's like okay promise. where's where's that style sheet where is it you promised you made a public promise on the I podcast made a public promise yes so there's no I'm, coming I'm back holding myself to it. <laughs> hey shame is a powerful motivator oh it is oh god yeah. speaking of shame proofreading okay yeah so onward (laughs) um you were talking about how like you'll read through a manuscript or you'll be reading a a book that's published and you'll Mm -hmm. come across a grammar 
error or something like that. And it's just like so, so much shame. So much or a shame. Layout error. Or a layout, layout error. error. Oh man, the oh. poor designer. Yeah. <laughs> so proofreading. We're judging them. <laughs> that's, that's where we get into, into all of this because, um, anything that makes it into that final published form that is incorrect, um, <laughs> is usually because the proofreader didn't catch it. Um, and the horrible thing is in, in my editing studies that I've been doing, one of the things that people keep coming back to is this idea or this statistic that you can only ever catch 95% of errors. So you'll Ooh, go through a manuscript, so you'll catch 95%, and then you go through it again, and you'll only catch 95% of what you missed the last time. And then that cycle continues. Mm. So you never get that 100%. It's infuriating for perfectionists, like most editors are. <laughs> so proofreading is like the most satisfying and terrifying stage at the same time. Proofreading, way too often mistaken for copy editing. Um, people often think that this is where we talk about the grammar, the nerdy bits. Um, but no, these two stages are very different. Um, it'll save you and your editor a whole lot of time, a whole lot of heartache, if you're both aware of that going into this conversation. Because if you ask for a proofread and the copy editor thinks this isn't a proofread, there's going to be some like miscommunication going on that you'll have to fix. Mm. It takes more time. It's a huge just thing that we could, you know, <laughs> fix right now. Um, so proofreading is the very last of the editing stages at the very end, after everything has been typeset and laid out and copy edited and stylistic edited and structurally edited before it goes to print. This is catching all of the errors that everybody else missed. Um, 95% of them, whatever. We try not to fixate on that too much because it's stress inducing. Okay. But yes, this is the finest level of nitpicking and it will focus on every single little piece um, not just errors in the text, but errors in the spacing, the layout, the colors, um, headings, making sure those are consistent, like chapter headings, page numbers, making sure those are consistent. All the little pieces of the overall design come into play here. Um, because this stage is not for major changes. The proofreader is not going to be looking at the structure, the character arcs, and thinking about all those things. Um, and thinking about should these rules be broken or not? Um, the copy editor should have outlined that in their style sheet. The, the proofreader ideally has the style sheet and can use that to help them follow the right rules and break the rules that are allowed to be broken. Um, if on the off chance a proofreader does notice larger changes that they think should have been caught in a previous stage, it's not their responsibility to fix those. They don't have clearance to go in and like make the changes themselves, but they can flag it for whoever they're working with and say like, hey, I noticed this as I was reading through, do we want to spend more attention to on this or are we leaving it for a purpose or are we good to go, whatever. Ultimately, that's not the proofreader's call to make and they're just going to have to <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then the end product is what it is. Like really, if if the proofreader flags something they think should be changed and it doesn't get changed, well... Nothing you can do about that. <laughs> it's not their fault. They flagged no, it. No, they flagged it. <laughs> they tried. Yep, exactly. So that is proofreading. So that leads us to what to look for in an editor. Now, I'm not an editor. I'm a writer. So this is what I would look for in an editor. So I want someone that I would get along with well enough that I'll feel comfortable working with them and telling them what I really think mm. <laughs> and what I really want out of my story. Yeah. And I also want someone who's proven that their work is good and consistent. Consistency is really important. 
and that they're not going to try and change my my voice and my story too much, um, that they're going to improve it without taking it over and making it into something else. Hmm. So the other thing that's pretty important is to have someone that's going to cheer you on and not kind of tear you down. Uh, this is extra important because I think most of us writers are you know, we're very empathetic and sometimes a little bit sensitive to criticism and that kind of thing. So we're very tied to our work. We are, because it's kind of like pouring your heart and soul out onto a page. Mm -hmm. And so someone comes in and goes, this whole thing sucks, so you got to review all this. That's, you don't want that. (laughs) No, you want someone who's going to work with you to make it better. Mm -hmm. And you should always be collaborating on the best possible outcome. Yes. Uh, It should not feel like an argument or Mm -hmm. or a competition or anything like that. So that's hugely important as well. Um, choosing someone within your price point, but don't sacrifice quality to save a few bucks because sure. that will often bite you in the ass. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, right? And uh, yeah, this is why I choose Elise for everything. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to make me blush. I knew that was going to make me blush. But uh, to yeah. make sure that we know that this is not just a shameless plug to hire me. Uh, <laughs> let's go over some things. <laughs> I mean, it's true. I'll edit for you if we turn out to be a good fit and you like me. So there is that shameless plug it's there all right (laughs) we'll move on then (laughs) we won't ignore the fact that we're doing this okay yeah um but beyond that let's go over some things that you can do to be more confident that you have found a good fit because your editor ideally should care about that just as much as you do um and i'll just say this up front most of what i have to say here has to do with something called a sample edit um This is what I consider the editor's superpower or their kryptonite. Um, I offer a free sample edit to new clients who want to get a feel for my feedback style before signing a contract with me. So um, what this looks like is I'll usually offer to do the first chapter uh, up to about 4,000 words, depending on the overall length of the manuscript, um, because this will give me as an editor a decent feel for where the story starts and where it's going and what kind of style I'm working with. and maybe some of the main errors I might be looking to fix or suggestions that could become repetitive throughout the work. Um, and if you're not an editor, if you are an editor and you're not doing this, um, I highly recommend that you do because it gives you kind of a ground zero point to start of, is this client a good fit for me? And then if you are a writer looking for an editor, I highly recommend making sure that they do this for you. If they don't offer it on their website or wherever, ask them if they were be open to it because um, this is going to help you decide whether they're a good fit for you. And that is so important. I often say finding an editor is like dating. Um, you need yeah. to sit down. Yeah, you need to sit down and figure out if, if you get along with them because that's so important. If you don't get along with your editor and they're offering you all this advice, you're not going to give two shits about it because you don't respect them, you don't trust them, and you don't value what they have to say. You need it to be a trusting relationship, uh, bare minimum. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So how I try to establish that with new people is the sample edit. And now the sample edit is not a um, one-size-fits-all, not by a long shot. Like, for example, if you're looking for a developmental edit, um, it'll be pretty hard for an editor to get to give you an idea of what they're going to do 
um, about structural issues because they haven't dug into the whole story yet. Um, so I still offer sample edits for someone looking for a developmental edit because I think it's important and it can still help. Um, but usually I use that sample to give a feel for my tone and my approach to editing, how I give feedback, um, while recognizing that I'll add this into my comments sometimes. I'll say something like, because I haven't read the full manuscript yet, I can't know if this scene, section, paragraph, whatever, is doing something intentional. Um, if I'm not missing anything in that regard, this is what I'd recommend. And then I go from there. And I try to make it very clear that I don't have the full picture. And um, a developmental edit definitely requires the full picture. <laughs> um, so some things to look for in that sample edit to decide whether this is going to be a good fit for you. Um, one thing that Maria pointed to is a balance of good and bad. If your editor is only pointing out flaws and errors without giving you any idea of what they like about your work, um, maybe that's what you're looking for, but let me warn you, <laughs> if you're tied to your work and you care about it and you're attached to it, that's going to get you discouraged a lot not faster. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to feel like they're working against you, which is not the case. It's not what you want. It's definitely not the case. Like the editor is there to make your work better. That is what they are. That's, that's their calling. That's what they're trying to do. Um, they may not be doing that in the best way, but that's their overall <laughs> goal. <laughs> and if they've edited a lot of different manuscripts, some editors' comments can get really brief and really quick because they've seen this error over and over in different clients' stuff. So they're like, oh, quick fix, just do this. But they don't consider that this new client may not have had anyone like talk to them about that before, so they're not considering it. Mm -hmm. So it comes across as really cold, really harsh, um, and that's not a great starting point. You have hired this person to tell you what's wrong with your project. Ideally, they're not just saying, oh, look at all the good things that you've done and it's beautiful and it's perfect. Don't change a thing because then you're paying for that. And uh, that's not going to get you very far. <laughs> but even if they're there to tell you what's wrong, it's just good feedback practice to try and find a balance of the positives and the negatives. If all you see are red marks and changes, that's not great for your morale. Um, that's not great for your relationship with this person, and a good editor should be able to identify strengths as well as weaknesses. Um, I'm going to say especially in developmental, but it doesn't in any stage. They should be able to say, I really like this about your work, and this is working for you, and these characters are working out really well, whatever it is. So that is something to consider. Um, consider your budget. Consider your availability. Maria already touched on that a little bit. But make it easy on both parties. Like when you approach an editor, let them know your budget and your timeline up front if you can, because that will let you know right away whether you'll be a good fit without ending things and feeling like they led you on. And then all of a sudden they told you their rate and it's like, wow, that's way too high for me. And like, there's a huge range of rates that you can find in the freelance world. So you should be able to find a rate that suits your needs and still holds up on the quality side. Like Maria said, don't don't give away quality because it's you know a good deal. You don't want to, you don't want to be cheap on this if you um, have the means. Um, but do consider that just because an editor is too expensive for you, that doesn't mean they're overcharging. That if their rates are too high, ask them if they can refer you to somebody else because um, chances are they know someone who's maybe just starting out or doesn't charge as much for whatever reason. Um, and that's also a polite way of finding out if they're willing to drop their rates for you because they like your project enough that they just want to do it anyway because that can happen. Um, that's so clever. I like that. Don't just write mm -hmm. it off, but also don't attack them for what their rates are because 
they have good reasons for charging as much as they do. <laughs> they really do. <laughs> this happens at work sometimes too. And, and people will be like, oh, well, we can get it done somewhere else for cheaper. Then why are you on the phone with me? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you would rather use us. Mm-hmm. You're just trying to lowball us. Yep. That's not not going to work. <laughs> yeah. If the editor actually respects themselves, chances are if you try to lowball them, they're going to be like, yeah, I will refer you elsewhere because I don't want to work with you. <laughs> because that's a huge red flag for me as an editor. If someone's just like, eh, you're, overcharge- you're overcharging me. Um, no, I've gone to school for this and you're asking me yeah. to read all of the words that you've written and to and care about them. them and edit them. Um, yes. I'm not doing that for free. That's not that's not what we're here for. <laughs> um, it takes Always a lot of time. people that aren't in your industry that tell you that you're overcharging. Too. Oh, right. It's like, how do you know? How do you know? <laughs> how do you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. And then I think the last thing that I want to touch on for um, things to look out for, a big red flag for me, it's kind of tied to what we were talking about before about a balance of good and bad. Um, but if your editor is... Um, very legalistic. Maybe they edit predominantly nonfiction because oftentimes the rules matter a little bit more and you can't be as bendy about them. Um, but they might be like really strict about following all the grammar rules and never leaving um, a sentence fragment anywhere and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and they might, their feedback might be focused on this is right and this is wrong. Um, that can work in some contexts, but overall I find that quite tiring and, um, very aggressive as a writer myself. And I wouldn't take that approach because I would find it difficult to, to take as a writer if that's how someone was approaching my work. So I try to use a language of suggestions and ideas and saying, um, I feel that this would be more effective in this instance or something like that, because saying you're wrong and you need to change it because it's wrong, um, is just very... Uh, confrontational and is not going to put the writer in a good headspace to receive that feedback. Mm-hmm. Even if what you're saying is true, the language matters. <laughs> so I look for that and I try to be very aware of that because I know if it's going to be a good fit for me, um, I need someone with a little bit of a gentler touch because <laughs> I'm yeah, a sensitive I'm- person, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm the same way even though I'm uh, there's a lot of people that would say I'm not sensitive at all, but uh, <laughs> I am <laughs> about certain things. And uh, I do try and keep that in mind. Like a lot of the time uh, I'm called upon to edit the horse related mm. things in people's work uh, that I know because that's Guilty. a good strike for me. Right. Uh, so when I get in there, I'm not like, you're an idiot. You're wrong. Like, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> asking me for my help because they know that I know and they did their best guess. And then I can just roll in and be like, okay, I get what you're doing with the scene, but I'm going to you should change this and this and this and then it will just make it more accurate Mm -hmm. like i i'm not gonna dive in there and be like you're an idiot for not knowing everything about this (laughs) one obsession that i happen to have (laughs) bless you so yeah i could see that that would be pretty aggressive if you if uh that was the approach and Mm -hmm. i wouldn't be okay with that either and no one likes to be told that they're wrong like right uh, especially when it's something like that they have worked so hard on yeah um and a lot of the time it's not wrong. It just needs like rephrasing. That's mm-hmm. the most common one. Mm-hmm. Like if you just rephrase it, you're good. <laughs> you fixed it up. It's all good to go. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, that brings us to kind of the tail end of things. We've gone over the four stages of editing. We've gone over what to look for in an editor, what to kind of be aware of and um, look out for because you don't want those red flags. You want it to be a good fit. Um, so 
just as kind of an overall reminder, editing is not a monolith. I said this at the beginning. There are a bunch of different stages. There's a bunch of different reasons to edit your work, and you may need all of them. You may need to spend more time in one than the other. Um, but you might also just be really logical and well-structured as a person, and so your story is really well-structured, and you don't have to spend very much time on that. You can move on to the other things and spend more time there, and that's totally fine. It doesn't mean anything about the value of your work. It doesn't make it better or worse than someone else's. It's just you have strengths and weaknesses, and that's going to come up in your editing process. So the four basic stages that we went over, um, high level, they go by a few different names, but if you hear structural, substantive, or developmental, that's your big picture stuff. That's where you want to start to make sure everything's in order before you start getting into the details um, and the nitty gritty. Stylistic or line editing, that's for clarity. That's where you're going to think really hard about your audience and whether your vocabulary is suitable, your word choice, your um, you're going to want to make sure that your phrasing is flowing well and that it's all just coming across, the language is coming across as smoothly and effectively as it can be. Uh, your copy editing comes after that, and that's all the nerdy bits. Need I say more? Um, and finally, proofreading. The very last step before you print is proofreading, and that's not about grammar, it's not about punctuation, it's about any error introduced into the manuscript during all the other stages. Um, so that mm -hmm. could be grammar, that could be punctuation, that could be um, spacing, it could be a font. You use the different font for this chapter heading than for all the other ones. Why did you do that? It's just a random technology thing that got introduced. And that's what the proofreader is there to catch. Yeah, introducing errors uh, sounds really scary. So thank you for that. <laughs> Don't so worry. I get my, Don't I get worry. my edit back from you. And I'm like, I'm going to add something to the sentence. I'm going to wonder the whole time if I've completely buggered it up. <laughs> I guess we'll see. we'll see. I think you'll be uh, okay. <laughs> should hopefully be okay. Uh, but yeah, like, I mean, the other thing is to remember that uh, you need to be ready to edit. And if you just finish your first draft and like you just hit the end, <laughs> take some space, get some feedback on it and then come back to it. It will save you, especially if you're paying an editor out of pocket, like mm -hmm. self-publish, it'll save you a lot of money in the long run. If you make it as ready as you possibly can before you start paying people to help you. Yeah. So yeah, and make sure you hire someone you feel good about. Mm -hmm. That's very important as well. So that's the tea on the basics of editing. All the links will be in the show notes and you can reach us anytime at theteagrannies at gmail.com or you can follow us on Instagram at theteagranniespodcast. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and it's time to put the kettle on. We'll see you again in two weeks. Happy writing. <laughs>